0: Good evening. It is my pleasure once again to, I guess, carry out the services. Uh, I was asked uh, probably about a month and a half ago or so to do this, only at the time Roger didn't tell me that Randy was going to be here. I'm just kidding. I've entitled the lesson tonight, Against All the Gods of Egypt. And uh, we'll give you an overview and then we'll go through the lesson. Basically what I want to do is go through the plagues that God rests on the... Uh, on the, the country of Egypt and Pharaoh, and I want to take a look at each of their so-called gods that they worship, and talk about which ones specifically would have been offended, so to speak, by what God had done. First of all, let's, let's go through a little history here. Um, most of you know the story of Joseph. Uh, Jacob's son one of his favorites. He was betrayed by his brothers, stolen by strangers, and sold into slavery. He rose to prominence in Potiphar's house, And because of a lie from Potiphar's wife was sent to prison, we know that he rose again to a place of prominence in prison, was eventually brought to Pharaoh to interpret his dreams. And we know Pharaoh, through God interpreting for him, because Joseph always attributed everything to God, we know Pharaoh made him ruler over his house and ruler over all of Egypt. And 70 souls, we know Joseph... We know the story he sent for his father, for his brothers, and we know eventually that they all moved down to the land of Goshen. It's about 70 souls, or three score and ten is what uh, Genesis 46:27 says. Came down to make a nation within a nation in the land of Goshen. We also read in um, Exodus 1, if you'll turn with me there, Exodus chapter 1, and I'll start at Verse 5. <clears throat> And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were seventy souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they also join into our enemies, and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters, to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter, with hard bondage, in mortar and in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service, wherein they made them serve, was with rigor. So the life that the Israelites experienced at this time was not a good one. They were, for all intents and purposes, slaves. I'm sure they got paid for their work or something, but they worked hard. The The Israelites, as you can assume, were not happy with their lot in life. They cried out to the God of their fathers. In Exodus 2, starting in verse 23, We see this, and it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up into God, into God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. So once again, God has heard the cry, and he is now starting his plan to get them out of Egypt. We know that his plan included Moses. And I'm not going to dive too far into Moses and, and take what, what Randy is talking about on Sunday mornings. But most of you know the story. We see in, in Hebrews 11, you know, Moses is included in that uh, champions of faith. He's included as one of those. By faith, he did most of these things. And I think it's important to note that God had a plan for getting his people out of Egypt. Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 19. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. This is God talking to Moses. No, not by a mighty hand. I will stretch up my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. See, God had a plan. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that Pharaoh, and we see later on, that he hardened Pharaoh's heart. There was a plan. And my uneducated opinion, his plan was, had a lot to do with putting to shame the gods of Egypt of pointing out that they were not real. Um, that's me thinking as a human, that's how I would see it. <clears throat> now, let's look a little bit at Egypt. Egypt was a poly- this polytheistic society, meaning they worshipped several gods, in this case, over 80. And it's there were two parts to Egypt. There was Upper Egypt, which was the northern part, where the delta uh, flowed into the Mediterranean Sea from the Nile. And then there was the lower part, where the, the Nile as the Nile flows from south to north. And there's a lot of overlap in the gods that they chose to worship. The upper part would worship this god for this thing, but the lower part would worship this god for the same thing. There was a lot of overlap, a lot of confusion. Even the pharaoh, he was considered a god, namely the the son, actually, of Amun-Ra, who was the creator, the sun god. Let me read to you a a, a quote. Um... A man named Will Durant wrote a book, uh, I didn't write down the name of it, back in the uh, 70s. Let me read this quote to you. Even Pharaoh was a god, always the son of Amun-Ra, ruling not merely by divine right, but by divine birth. As a deity, transiently tolerating the earth as his home. On his head was the falcon, symbol of Horus and the totem of the tribe. From his forehead rose the Uraeus, or serpent, symbol and wisdom of life, and communicating magic virtues to the crown. The king was chief priest of the faith and led the great processions and ceremonies that celebrated the festivals of the gods. It was through this assumption of divine lineage and powers that he was able to rule so long with so little force. I think that's, uh, that last part is interesting. If, if you think about it, the Israelites were probably the biggest problem that Egypt ever faced. They never faced problems with the Egyptians. It was always outside wars that came in. They had this idea that Pharaoh was a god. Of course, to go against a god was bad. <clears throat> I think it's important to notice again that God was going to reveal Himself to the Egyptians, and He was going to do that through plagues. He was going to shame their gods and show them that He was real. I made a lot of, uh, or noted a lot of scriptures there: Exodus 7:4, 10:2. 1212 12, and 1811. If you care to write those down, those are all examples of God announcing of what He was going to do, what He was going to do to Egypt. And as you'll see here in a second, every plague was a direct assault, insult to at least one of those gods of Egypt. Let's take a look at the first one. The first plague, we read about it in Exodus chapter 7. If you'll turn with me there. Starting in verse... Uh, the whole description is from 14 to 25, but we're going to start in verse 19. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying to Aaron, Take thy rod, and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, and upon their ponds, and upon all their fo- pools of water, that they may become blood, and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, as the Lord commanded, and he lift up the rod, and smote the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh. And in the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. And the fish that were in the river died, and the river stunk, and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, neither did he hearken unto them, as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house, neither did he set his heart to this also. And all the Egyptians dig round about the river for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the river. And seven days were fulfilled, and after that the Lord had smitten the river. <clears throat> now the Nile was, I guess if you could say, the most important thing to Egypt. That's what it was. They had ships, boats that could carry trade up and down, out into the Mediterranean Sea, off to other areas of the world. Uh, they traded amongst themselves between the cities. And they also carry in their crops, up and down the Nile. Now the word blood here, it can be interpreted two ways, either literal blood or as blood red. I wasn't there, I don't know. But it can be seen either way. Either way, the fish died. They couldn't breathe in it. Um, And of course the people didn't want to drink it. It stank, whether that was from the fish dying or because it itself smelled like blood. And not only was the Nile affected, but anything that was drawn, whether it was in a wooden pot, a clay pot, a stone pot, anything that was drawn from the Nile also turned to blood. So here the water that they had already stored in their houses was turned to blood. And let's take a look. This is Khnum. I have no idea if that's the right way to pronounce it, but that's my guess. He was the guardian of the Nile. He was normally portrayed as a man with a ram's head. He, is, he was worshipped as the god of the source of the Nile. <clears throat> One of their creation myths uh, included this thing called the primordial mound. And basically what that was, it was a mound of clay or something that you could form things with and give it life. And Khnum was believed to have taken part of that primordial mound, put it on a potter's wheel, mold it into clay, or mold it from clay, Babies and then put the babies in their mother's wombs. That was what they believed that this Khnum God did. Uh, happy, or Hapi, either spelled with an I or a Y, was the spirit of the Nile. Hapi was the deification of the annual flooding of the river. So whenever the flood came, they said, Oh, Hapi's come to visit us. You know, we're so thankful. Normally depicted as two genies symbolically tying upper and lower Egypt. The large T figure there was one of the symbols for the Nile. If you've ever seen a map of of Egypt, the Nile flows from south to north and then it splits off in a delta at the very top end. So for them, it was easier to draw a T. So as you can see, two genies tying the north together, north and south together. And Osiris, I'm sure any of you who have at least looked at Egyptian mythology before, you've probably heard of Osiris. He was the god of the underworld. Um, The Egyptians believed that the Nile River was his bloodstream. He was also the judge of the afterlife. So when you died, he would be the one you stood in front of to, to be judged. But they also believed that he granted all life. And all new life was from him. He took the dead, and in return he gave life. Let me read this next quote for you. Uh, a man named John Davis in 1970, 1971 wrote the book Moses and the Gods of Egypt. And he said this, It was appropriate that the first of the plague should be directed against the Nile River itself, the very lifeline of Egypt and the center of many of its religious ideas. The Nile was considered sacred by the Egyptians. Many of their gods were associated either directly or indirectly with this river and its productivity. For example, the great Khnum, whom we've heard of, is considered the guardian of the Nile sources. Happy was believed to be the spirit of the Nile and is and its dynamic essence. One of the greatest gods revered in Egypt was the god Osiris, who was the god of the underworld. The Egyptians believed that the Nile River was his bloodstream. In the light of this latter expression, is it it is appropriate indeed that the Lord should turn the Nile to blood? It is not only said that the fish in the river died, but that the river stank, and the Egyptians were not able to use the water of that river. Imagine the horror and frustration of the people of Egypt as they looked upon that which was formerly beautiful only to find dead fish lining the shores and an ugly red characterizing what had before provided life and attraction. <clears throat> Alright, let's take a look at the second plague. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, and saying unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs. And the rivers shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thine house, and into thy bedchamber, and upon thy bed, and into the house of thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thine ovens, and into thy kneading troughs. And the frogs shall come up both on thee, and upon thy people, and upon all thy servants. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying to Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments, and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord, that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go, that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. And Moses said unto Pharaoh, Glory over me, when shall I entreat for thee and for thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs from thee and thy houses, that they may remain in the river only? And he said, Tomorrow... And he said, Be it according to thy word, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from thee, and from thy houses, and from thy servants, and from thy people, and shall remain in the river only. And it goes on, and of course, Moses does his thing. The frogs return to the river only, and Pharaoh, seeing the, the, that everything had gotten better, changed his mind, and decided not to let the people go. <clears throat> this is Hecht. Or Heket. She was the wife of the creator of the world, Ptah. We'll get to him later. She was the goddess of birth. Always, every time she's ever drawn or depicted, she is shown with the head of a frog. Um, women, when they were knew that they were pregnant or knew they were going to go through childbirth, they would wear trinkets or necklaces with her likeness um, because they thought she offered protection. If you accidentally killed a frog... There's a good chance you could have been put to death. Um, That's how much they believed in these these frogs. And I think it's at least um, humorous uh, to think that even though they they cherished this frog so much, here they were scraping up these dead frogs from out their house, um, from the road, from their roofs, from their ovens, from their kneading troughs. Here they were scooping these these dead frogs out. (coughs) That's the only one I had for them. Alright, let's look at the third plague. Lice. Or sand fleas. Let's read uh, Exodus chapter 8 starting in verse 16. And the Lord said to Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod, and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod, and smote the dust of the earth. And it became lice in man and in beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice. But they could not, so there were lice upon man and upon beast. Then the magicians said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord has said. <clears throat> Sorry. The word lice, again, is, is translated as sand fleas, or fleas, sand flies, excuse me, or fleas. The Hebrew word kinem that is used uh, for that word lice comes from a root word meaning to dig. So it's possible that somewhere along the road these insects would have dug under the skin. And I think it's interesting to note that the it specifically mentions the dust of the land became lice. And last time I checked, Egypt was a desert, and that's a whole lot of dust. So that would be a whole lot of lice. And I, I think it's interesting to note that Pharaoh's magicians could not duplicate this feat. And they even mentioned to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But again, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. This is Geb. Geb was the great god of the earth, and by extension, dirt, dust, etc. He would have been very offended, had he been real, of this other god's ability to take his realm and turn it into light's. Egyptians gave offerings to Geb for when they had a good harvest, or to have a good harvest, they would give offerings to this god. And I think it's interesting to note that the priests of Egypt, depending on, regardless of which god they were priests for, their daily routine required them to shave all of their hair. Hair, hair on their head, hair on their, their eyebrows, even their entire body, because to have lice meant that they could not you know, participate in their daily routines. They were unclean, so to speak. And it's interesting to note, every single Egyptian was covered in lice. It was all over the place. Let's see. keep pointing it over there. That's not where it is. Let's take a look at the fourth plague. Again, continuing in Exodus chapter 8, we're going to read verses 20 through 24. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Woe, he cometh forth to the water and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Else, if thou wilt not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thy houses, and the houses of Egypt, shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground whereon they are. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. And I will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. And the Lord did so, and there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh, and into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. And the land was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. Now the word of of flies there isn't actually in the original text. That was added by translators. So really what that verse says is, I will send swarms upon me. And there are several different scholars who bring up several different options for what that swarm would have consisted of. The scarab was deified by the Egyptians. They thought that the scarab had holy purposes. Um, Scarabs are better known as dung beetles. I don't know if any of you have ever seen a dung beetle. Um, It's interesting to know that this plague is the first one that that God split the effects of. Only the Egyptians were hindered by this plague. Only the Egyptians had to deal with the swarm of scarabs or of insects. The Israelites in Goshen were not concerned. This is Amun-Ra. He was the creator and king of the gods. He had the head of a beetle. In this depiction he does not, but they believed that that his head was like a scarab. Um, He could appear as a crowned man, a falcon, or a man with a falcon's head as you can see here. And it's interesting, if, if any of you have ever seen a dung beetle roll its little ball of dung, they kind of turn around backwards and, and walk it backwards. Well, they believe that just like the dung beetle pushes that dung across the ground, they believe Amun-Ra was up in the sky pushing the sun across the sky. And that is why they attributed it to him um, the beetle. Let's take a look at the fifth plague, starting in Exodus verse 9, or chapter 9, verse 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, and tell him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if thou refuse to let them go, and will hold them still, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon my cattle which is in the field, upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, and upon the sheep, there shall be a very grievous moraine. And the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt, and there there shall nothing die of all that is the children of Israel. And the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. And the Lord did that thing on the morrow, and all the cattle of Egypt died, but of the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. And Pharaoh sinned, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead, and the heart of the Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Horses and cattle were not just horses and cattle. Uh, the Egyptians revered and sanctified many, many, many animals. They were also sacred. Bulls, bull calves in particular, were sacrificed. But they couldn't sacrifice the female cow, the heifer. They were sacred to Isis, one of the goddesses. And again, I think it's, it's important to note that the cattle of the Israelites were not affected by this. This is Ptah. He, was, he is the deification of that primordial mound. Remember that ball of stuff that everything was made out of. He is believed to have, let's see, called the world into being having dreamt creation in his heart. And he was personified on earth as bull. The Apis bull particularly. This is uh, a statue that is in the Louvre over in Paris. Uh, that represents the apis bull. Let me read to you this this description. The apis bull was the living image of the god Ptah. He was also associated with Ra, or Amun-Ra, for whom he borrowed the disc he wore between his horns. When the apis bull died, priests would travel through every pasture in Egypt looking for his replacement. The calf would have a black coat with distinctive patches on his neck, back, and body. The apis bull supposedly had the power of prophecy. When the Apis bull died, the land of Egypt mourned for him as they would for the loss of the monarch himself. After death, his body would be embalmed, and after the funeral rites were performed, the body would be placed in a granite sarcophagus. So they believe that this bull, who just happened to have a this distinctive coat, had the power of prophecy. This is Hathor. Hathor um, was the goddess of the desert. She was always depicted either as a cow, a woman with a cow's head, or a horned woman, as you can see there in the colored uh, rendition. She was the symbolic mother of the pharaoh. Um, the king of Egypt, the pharaoh, was usually referred to as the son of Hathor, or could be referred that way. As you can see, she probably would have been offended that all of the cow died, because she was one, apparently. <coughs> Alright, let's take a look at the sixth plague. Exodus chapter 9, starting in verse 8. And the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, Take to you handfuls of ashes of the furnace, and let Moses sprinkle it towards heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. And it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt, and shall be a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast throughout all the land of Egypt. And they took ashes of the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven. And it became a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boil was upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had spoken unto Moses. I think it's it's interesting to note just a second ago, and I've heard this argument before, just a second ago, all of the Egyptians' cattle died. And now we see that their cattle, or we read that their cattle have been plagued with boils. And I had that brought up to me one time as a quote-unquote contradiction, and the answer came to me pretty quick. These Egyptians had lots of money, and the Israelites had lots of cattle. I'll bet you they made a trade. That would be my guess as to how the Egyptians now had more cattle. But in Deuteronomy 28.35, there is also described, it's, it's listed as one of the curses of disobedience, um, but a very, very similar um, action. painful boils that affected the knees, legs, and soles of the feet. I've never had anything on the soles of my feet that would hurt, but I think that would be about as miserable as I could imagine. And again, note that the Pharaoh's magicians, they couldn't even stand before Moses. Couldn't even stand before him. I'll bet you they had boils on their feet. And again, only the Egyptians were affected. This is Thoth, or Thoth. He's the god of intelligence and medical learning. He had uh, a head that wasn't actually attributed to any particular animal. Looks kind of like an anteater, but I'm not sure. Um, He was considered the heart and tongue of Ra, as well as the means by which Ra's will was translated to speech. Now he was, I guess you could say, he's the fairness god. If you happened to be on hard times, if you were an Egyptian, and you thought maybe the world was being unfair to you and evil to you, you would pray to Thoth that he would even things out. That if you would had a really bad run of luck, that he would even things out and you would, you would, know, something good would happen. And I think it's interesting to note that if I was covered in boils that popped and pussed and hurt, I would probably be calling this guy going, <laughs> I didn't do anything, what's going on? This isn't fair. He would be one that I talked to. Imhotep, now, this is interesting. Imhotep is historically known as a real person. He was the physician, architect, and chief advisor of King Zoser in 3150 B.C. That's a long time ago. Later on, because of all of the advancements in medicine that he had found, apparently he was a very intelligent, very ahead of his time, so to speak, did a lot of good things for Egyptian medicine. Well, they deified him. They began to worship him and worship him as this god of medicine. There's uh, uh, statues in the Louvre. I didn't include it for whatever reason, but there are statues of him that they made to worship. And also Serapis. Um, this was the deity in charge of healing. Couldn't find a picture of, of him or her. Excuse me. Seventh plague. Let's see. Exodus chapter 9. The whole description is from verses 13 through 35, but we're going to start it in verse 18. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause it to rain a very grievous hail, such as have not been in Egypt since the foundation thereof, even until now. Send therefore now, and gather thy cattle, and all that thou hast in the field, for upon every man and beast which shall be found in the field, and shall not be brought home. The hail shall come down upon them, and they shall die. He that feared the word of the Lord amongst the servants of Pharaoh, made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses. And he that regarded not the word of the Lord, left his servants and his cattle in the field. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, upon man and upon beast upon every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire ran along upon the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail, and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt, since it became a nation. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, and all that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail smote every herb of the field, and brake every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. (coughs) And again, the flax and the barley crop, which you actually read about after that reading in verse 31, was destroyed. That was their January crop. So we can date this somewhere in that time frame. And again, the land of Goshen, where the Israelites dwelled, did not have any problems with hail or with fire. This was Nut, or Newt, the sky goddess. She is always depicted every time as a nude woman who is arching over the sky. And if you read that there at the bottom, a woman resting on hands and feet, her body forming an arch, thus representing the sky. Her limbs typified the four pillars on which the sky was supposed to rest. So here is this hail coming down from the sky, no end to it. This is who they would have prayed to, so to speak, to stop it. And it's, you can note that she did not. She is the wife of Geb, remember, the, the earth god. And she's the mother of five different gods, Osiris, Hathor, Set, Isis, and Nephthys. She was one of the major goddesses in the Egyptian pantheon. Where was Shu, the wind god? Where was Horus, the hawk-headed sky god of upper Egypt? And, of course, Isis and Set, Newt or Nut's children... It was their job to protect the crops. It was their job to make sure that the harvest, that the crops uh, existed until the harvest. And note that those flax and barley fields were burned by the hail. Eighth plague. <clears throat> this is in Exodus 10. And the whole again the whole description is verses 1 through 20, but we're going to start in verse 11. Exodus 10 not so, go ye that are men and serve the Lord, for that you did desire, and they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come up upon the land of Egypt, and eat every herb of the land, even all the hail that hath left, even all that the hail hath left. And Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt, and rested in all the coasts of Egypt. Very grievous were they. Before them there were no such locusts as they, neither after them shall be such. For they covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened. And they did eat every herb of the land, and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. And there remained not any green thing in the trees, or in the herbs of the field, throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, some people have said that the Bible account is an exaggeration. Let me share with you uh, a report of a historical locust swarm. In 1926 to 1927, small swarms of the African migratory locusts were spotted in an area 50 by 120 miles on the plains of the River Niger near Timbuktu. The next year, swarms invaded Senegal and Sierra Leone. And by 1930, the whole of West Africa was swelling away at the pests with everything movable. But the locusts didn't seem to notice. Swarms reached Khartoum, which is a town more than 2,000 miles to the east of Timbuktu. Then turned south, spreading across Ethiopia, Kenya, and the Belgian Congo. And in 1932, striking into the lush farmland of Angola and Rhodesia. Before the plague finally sputtered out 14 years after it began, It had affected 5 million square miles of Africa. That's nearly twice the size of the United States. Again, the Egyptian gods were silent. And again, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. This is Isis, mentioned her before. She was the goddess of motherhood and fertility, and she was the patron of nature and the patron of magic. You would think that the patron of nature would be able to do something about this. Here these locusts are killing everything that we didn't lose from the hail and she's not doing anything about it. There was also Nepri, the god of grain. Where was he? There was also Ermutet, the goddess of childbirth and crops. And there was also, where was Thermusis, the goddess of fertility and the harvest? So here all of their plants, whatever hadn't died from the hail, was now being eaten by the locusts and yet none of these gods came to help. And then Seth, A brother to Isis was the god of crops. The ninth plague. We're getting near the end. Starting in Exodus chapter 10, verse 21. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose from any place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. And Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye, serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be stayed, let your little ones also go with you. So Pharaoh's getting a little softer, so to speak. uh, Moses had asked, of course, to let his people go, and Pharaoh originally said, Fine, the men can go. And then he, he retracted that. And he said, Okay, fine, your men and children can go. Here, your men, women, and children can go, but you can't take any cattle. Of course, that wasn't amenable to Moses. So this darkness came, and it was a thick darkness. You could feel it. I've never been in darkness that thick, but I do know the, the meaning of the term. It was so dark you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Go in the closet, turn the light off pretty easy. But for three days, they couldn't see each other. literally couldn't see the hand in front of your face. Yet yeah, just across the river in the delta, in the land of Goshen, you could see just fine in their dwellings in the, in, for the Israelites. And again, Pharaoh con- consented to let Israelites and their children go, but would not allow them to take their cattle. Remember, they needed their cattle to sacrifice. They didn't know what they were going to need to do until they got there, so they wanted to take everything, and Pharaoh wouldn't let them. And again, his heart was hardened. This was Horus. Horus is one of the main gods in their pantheon. He was the god of light. He was the deification of the life-giving power of the sun. He was always shown as a, with a falcon's head. Um, Amun-Ra, of course, would have been offended. He was the sun god. He was the one that pushed the sun across the sky. No sun, no god. Ptah, again, the creator of everything, folded it from that primordial mound. The sun, the moon, and the earth. Where was he to combat this darkness? What about Tim, the god of the sunset? Or Shu, again, the god of wind. If you could feel this darkness, you would think you could blow it away, but Shu could not. No Egyptian gods whatsoever can make this darkness go away. And then the 10th plague. <clears throat> the 10th plague description reads from Exodus chapter 11, verse 1, all the way through Exodus 12, verse 30. I'm going to read to you just a few selections out of that. Starting in Exodus 12. And verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and pay attention, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you, for a token upon the house is where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Let's skip forward to verse 29. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne, unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Most of us know the story. God commanded all the Israelites to take a calf, 14 days they would keep it and they would kill it, eat it. They were going to, supposed to roast it, not boil it or anything. And while they were eating it, they were to do so standing up with all of their clothes on, with the things that they would need to take them, with their walking sticks, etc. Because they were about to leave. And they were told to take the blood from that lamb, put it on a hyssop and sprinkle it on both posts of the door and above the top. And then when the Spirit of the Lord came through, He would pass over those houses where the blood was. Hence the name Passover. I think it's interesting to note, as was my scripture reading, directed specifically at all the gods of Egypt. And this would prove once and for all that they had absolutely no ability to protect the Egyptians. Where was Meshkinet? Meshkinet was the goddess who presided at the birth of children. Where was Hathor? We've talked about her, the... Cow goddess she also attended a childbirth where was men the god of procreation where was isis the goddess of fertility or selket the guardian of life or even Renanutet, the cobra goddess and the guardian of pharaoh where were these gods when the egyptian needed them most of course we know the answer they don't exist <clears throat> to bring it to conclusion the egyptians as we've seen believed in many gods Almost every aspect of life was devoted to one or more deities. If you woke up in a good mood, you thanked Tim, the god of the sunset. If you woke up and you thought life was unfair again, you went and prayed to Thoth for fairness to come your way. The plagues from God were unstoppable. Not by Pharaoh's magicians. They could duplicate them a few times. But they could not stop them. And because of these plagues, the Israelites were released from Egyptian bondage. And ultimately, and of course, we don't think like God, and God doesn't think like us, but He had a plan. And His plan ultimately was the Messiah, was Jesus. And I know this hasn't specifically been what we would call a gospel sermon, but I think I would be remiss not to at least bring Jesus into it. All of this was for Jesus. Now I believe as fact, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that He was sent as a sacrifice, just as the Israelites would sacrifice bulls and calves for the blood. I believe that Jesus' blood has forgiven me of my sins when I was baptized. If there are two types of people in this world, those that believe that the Bible is what it is, and those that don't. There's not really any halfway. You either believe it or you don't. Where we make a mistake most of the time is not is is, is believing but not acting. God laid out for us a plan of salvation, and there are things that we have to do to enter that covenant with Him. Believe, confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and as Gary mentioned this morning, repent. Hardest one. Be baptized. That is That is required. If you have not done those, I would like for you to ask yourself why. Are you the person that believes or are you the person that don't? I have no doubt that everyone here believes that. If for some reason you have not acted upon that belief, I would implore you to do so at your earliest convenience. And that would be now as we stand and as we sing.